Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 77. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 11th episode of season 4, Unrealized Reality. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of unrealized reality. The episode begins with some major changes. John's better at predicting wormholes. Sokozu decides to align herself with Scorpius against the Scarens and people on the crew who don't believe the Scarens are a big threat. And Dargo finds out that John's been taking double Naranti's drug doses. Just when he'd have to deal with any of this, John gets sucked down a wormhole in his spacesuit and ends up on an iceberg with an ancient being he calls Einstein. As John learns the true power of wormholes, we're unsure if he'll survive, only to have him end up back at Earth in a spacesuit. So this is one of Farscape's best episodes, and it's the payoff of the wormhole storyline, or the beginning of the payoff of the wormhole storyline that's been in play since the very first episode of the show when John leaves Earth and gets sucked down a wormhole. And it's also the first of a three-parter, so hold on to your seats because it gets really good. And it's also one of the most complicated episodes of Farscape. It's visually complicated with lots of little flashes and flashbacks and this documentary style interviews with crewmates from Moya and from people from Earth that we don't know yet. And it's basically a fake science lesson in how wormholes work in Farscape. So we're going to try and walk you through this really complicated, lots of information coming at you in bizarre ways episode. But that said, it's still one of my favorites. Yeah, it's such a good episode. And I think it's interesting the people that they choose for the documentary style, because it's all people that are gone. Mm -hmm. Right? So it gives this weird impression of like, Zan and Krace who are dead, and then Stark and Jewel who are gone. They're the ones who kind of get to pass judgment on John's life. And also all of these people from his past that are kind of minor with the exception of DK. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we get all of these minor and or gone characters who get to pass judgment on John's life. And I just think that's a very interesting narrative choice because it's none of the people that are currently with him. And on the one hand, it's great because, you know, we get to see all these characters who are gone again. And so it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, the home week. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, kind of like, a, oh, you know, Cordelia in what was that episode where she came back after she died? Mm hmm. But at the same time, I think it also speaks to how John sees himself and also that interesting moment in John Quixote where Zan kind of touched on this idea of a lot of people having been willing to die for John. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the style that they use to tell it is they basically have a series. These people keep coming up over and over again. And I really like that you point out it's like all these minor characters, but I think it's the earth people are particularly interesting to me because it's like the sort of people you would talk to to try and find out the biography of John Crichton. It's like his elementary school teacher. It's an ex-girlfriend. It's his best friend that he did DK that he did the Farscape project with. It's another scientist that's working with the project. It's his, his priest from when he was a child and his football coach from college. So like this, like, all the people that you kind of touch your lives in ways, but then you kind of pass on and you don't talk to again, but they still might remember you because they were part of your childhood. So this is like this, it feels like this like full life accounting of John that kind of goes on here that is really 
it comes up over and over again. And I think we'll get to it later, but are these constructs of John's mind or is something else in play going on with why these people are, are there, why they're chosen? Yeah. So to get to the actual episode, um, since last episode, we spent 20 minutes not talking about what was actually <laughs> happening in the episode. <laughs> to get to the actual episode, we have the episode beginning with Aaron and Chiana. The, Aaron is watching John as he's hanging out in space, looking at a wormhole that keeps appearing. And she she mentions to Chiana, yeah, he's getting better at predicting wormholes, and he really likes this one for some reason. And... Meanwhile, Aaron is learning English. And this goes back to something that I mentioned last episode, where I feel like for three seasons now, John has been trying to learn Aaron's language, and he's been trying to learn the language of the uncharted territories. And now in kind of John's rejection, Aaron is having to learn his language. And she's trying to bridge that gap through language, which is not something that is comfortable for her. Yeah, but I was thinking about this, but it's something that started with Talon John while she and he were on Talon, obviously. And right after they consummated their relationship, one of the first scenes we get is of the journal that John has been writing in, tracking mm-hmm. his adventures or the star charts, and Aaron starting to read from it. So she started learning to read with Talon John, and he, we have her coming back to trying to learn to read for. Moya John, the one John that we're left with at the end. So it feels also like when she says the two Johns have merged in her head, here she is fulfilling kind of the promise of trying to learn and reach out to Talon, Talon John here with the other one. And I really like it. It's, it's also the way she's trying, as you just said, trying to connect to him again now that everything is so messed up between them. Yeah, it's almost like she's trying to get back the intimacy that she had with Talon John, with Moya John, through something that was very special between them. Because I think the first time we really see that on Talon was them in bed, you know, Mm -hmm. like after they've, you know, after they've made love. And like, there's this moment of, of real physical and emotional intimacy, and it's her opening herself. And I don't know, I still do like the metaphor of her learning English as a metaphor for her trying to learn John's language. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely spot on. But your point stands that this is her kind of merging the two in her mind, you know? Yeah, well, I think it's both of those things because because it's, it's you know, she had that in the choice, that bit of rejection of of John and just because she's going through that grief and so she was turning away from him and that whole scene in Dog with Two Bones when it's just so painful to be with him. And here it feels like she's finally passed all her pain and her grief and trying to get back together. So, yeah, I think we both are on the same page with it, just mm-hmm. from different sides, you know, different angles of it. And then to no one's surprise, <laughs> Sokozu has decided to align herself with Scorpius and the brain that makes her horny. <laughs> and... <laughs> And both of them have a really intimate knowledge of how bad the Scarens can be. And Scorpius feels like nobody on Moya is taking his fears about the Scarens seriously, including John. And Sokozu is kind of like, well, I mean, obviously I know how bad the Scarens are. And then they decide to ally themselves with each other, again, to no one's surprise. <laughs> and <laughs> during that conversation... Sokozu is kind of like, so then I'll become the most important person to you, except for John. 
And yeah. John, and Scorpius is like, always except for John. <laughs> right. And I want to point out that Scorpius is admiring her backside when after she says, "Who will, how can I be sure you'll watch my back? And does pay her a compliment. So there's definitely flirting going on between the two of them. We have also Pilot and Rigel um, talking about the wormholes. And basically right there, Rigel laying out the being the expositor of... Hey, John can navigate wormholes now. He can take us home. And basically mm-hmm. telling Pilot and Moya to get over their fear of wormholes. And <laughs> kind of rude, Rigel. <laughs> kind of rude. And Pilot laying some, some, you know, when Rigel says, well, I was a dominator, so of course I could un- anticipate things just like John could anticipate things. It's a good sign. And, and Pilot's like, you didn't anticipate your cousin taking your throne. <laughs> That's a pretty good comeback. Yeah. Uh, I love Pilot throwing shade. <laughs> and then we also have somebody finally, which again, since he's been so publicly doing this drug, I have no idea how no one has noticed this before now, but we finally have somebody catching John doing drugs or catching Noranti delivering John drugs. <laughs> so here we go. John, are you there? We're on secure comms. Is there a problem? I just got this apothecary placing drugs <gasps> in your quarters. She says they help you forget Aaron. They just dull the pain. Do they work? When I double the dose, yeah. How much perspective have you lost? You know that if you take anything the switch gives you, you have the dose. Dargo, it ain't none of your business, so forget about it. I could make something that will help you remember. Oh, soulless Luxon. John. Oh, John, you have to let her go. It's more complicated than that. Right now. So, what I love about that, lots of things to love about that. First, we get the continuing friendship between John and Dargo, and Dargo looking out for him and also being his friend and saying, Are you crazy? Don't take (laughs) drugs from the old woman. (laughs) That's my paraphrase of what Dargo says. And I, I like that he knows now, you know, it's it's a good check. And then at the other hand, you have John being like, it's my business and everything is more complicated than you know. And I think that's really important moving forward. So kind of just mm-hmm. put a pin in that thought that for John is not so cut and dry that he's just going to leave Aaron and forget about her. Because, you know, we talked about Aaron learning English. But the other thing we've seen in like a prefect murder and some of the other episodes in season four is like her learning English really turns him on. And it's like really like something that he feels important for because every time she does it, he's like, oh, God, take drugs to not think about her because Mm -hmm. he's having that stronger reaction to to her reaching out to him. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like a lot of things about Aaron that I think if he was not taking drugs, they would be back together. Let me put it Mm -hmm. that way. And I think also, even him taking drugs, it's almost like a placebo, because they don't really help him forget. He's doubling the dosage, and it still isn't really working, you know? And so I think that it's just a placebo for him to be like, well, we can't get together because I'm taking drugs to make me forget her. So clearly we can't get back together. (laughs) And so... I think it's really good that Dargo is the one that found out because I think if it was any other character, they wouldn't have a friendship strong enough for them to call him on it or they wouldn't really care. Like I think if Gianna found it, she would be mildly concerned about him, but I don't think she would care that much. 
She because right. she also has like her own freewheeling, you know, do what you want, do who you love. Yeah, it would philosophy. be it would be within her coping mechanisms. Like she would she would be on John's team John for that. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I think Scorpius wouldn't even care because to him it would be like, okay, John is trying to separate himself from Aaron. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that Dargo is the one saying, let it go. Because yeah. of, like Dargo held on to his wife's death for like a really long time. Yeah, but for I thought it's kind of more understandable, I think, because he was imprisoned for her murder that he didn't commit. So he was living with that memory all the time when he was in prison, you know? Yeah. It's a little bit hard to let go. (laughs) Okay, but John is living with Aaron. You know what I mean? So that is also hard to let go. That's like living with your ex, you know? (laughs) That's true, too. But I just think, you know, it's always easier to tell other people what to do than do it yourself. (laughs) So let's get into the meat of the episode, which is where we are at the end of the intro. And John predicts the wormhole. He does a little countdown. The wormhole opens. And then he's like, oh, crap, I'm getting sucked in. Pilot, come get me. But Pilot's too late. And John gets sucked into the wormhole and he lands on an iceberg. And he, of course, wakes up not knowing what's going on and making Titanic jokes, as you do. And then this dude shows up. And I'm going to play their first interaction because it's kind of, I feel like, iconic of the series. Nice threads. Helps to humanize you. Makes it easier for me to sympathize with your problems. Time. Time. It's up. Time. Flies. Time. Bandits. Time. Wounds all healed. Time. Rosemary and time. Stop. Time. Either stop pointing guns at people or get a bigger gun. Time is. Infinite. Relative. You are quite a simple organism to possess the knowledge you do. You're only saying that because you don't know me. Time is meaningless, and yet it is all that exists. Barry Morrissey. My name is John, and yours is... Unimportant to our encounter. (laughs) Exactly. I love how you lay it out there, Einstein. So let me ask you, without getting existential on me, why am I, why are we... Here. You are present to perish. I am present to affect that outcome. So he's calling the creature Einstein. We don't know much about him at this point other than he's wearing a black suit and appears to have either no eyes or fully black eyes. And John is on this little iceberg, which is literally the size of like, I don't know, 10 square feet, maybe a little bit bigger than that. And the water that they're in is like all wormholes. So it's this really liminal space of like between wormholes and between two realms that we learn where this guy Einstein, who doesn't give his name, is from a parallel adjacent realm that should never touch ours. But if they enter, they can intersect through wormholes. Uh, what I really love about this little little back and forth is just the whole time and the, the call and response, right? 
probing to see what John understands. And John starts out being flippant and then kind of gets more serious about it. Relativity, which, as you can tell from Einstein's name being thrown around, is a really important part of this episode and how wormholes work here. Mm -hmm. I love that back and forth because I think that it really shows John's own understanding of time. And then as the episode progresses, you really see that his view of wormholes, even though it's incredibly serious, like he destroyed a command carrier to stop wormhole knowledge from getting to the peacekeepers, is also very self-focused. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And this is like the best Rorschach test for his own understanding and his own perception of what wormholes are and the reality of wormholes. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what Einstein is going for is like, what do you actually understand and what do wormholes mean to you? And you can tell that he's really disappointed in John (laughs) and John doesn't really like that. But at the same time, John is at a point where he doesn't care either, which I think comes across a little bit later that he just doesn't care anymore what other people think about wormholes because to him, wormholes have become a tool. Mm -hmm. They're a way for him to get home, but they are also why he is hunted That is why Scorpius is after him, why Scorpius is on their ship living with them, and why the Scarens are now interested. So it's definitely interesting to see where the two of them start at this episode, because the change is radically by the end. Basically, Einstein is like, okay, you're dangerous because you have this knowledge. I need to know where it came from, why you want it, and then I'm going to kill you because you're a liability. And John is like, "Uh, no, you're not. And he tries to shoot him, but then the rules have changed because his blaster shot you know, doesn't go anywhere. Einstein stops it because he has control of time in this space. Yeah, that not caring about that you mentioned with John, you know, that's going to change as he goes through this experience that happens to him in this episode. Yeah. And one of those is he jumps into a wormhole off the iceberg and he ends up on his very first day back on Moya in command where basically footage from the premiere shows up again and he's like, Wow, first day. And he kind of plays through that first day that he had, you know, when they're trying to get the control collar off, they're under attack from the peacekeepers, his introduction basically to Dargo, Zan, and Rigel. And he dodges all of Rigel's spit, and he is like, why don't you try that that control thing? And plays it through as if he is living it again. Yeah. With commentary. (laughs) With commentary, yeah. And I think it's really interesting because this first playthrough, I think – In his case, it just kind of feels like, ah, nostalgia. Like he's feeling nostalgia for this. It doesn't feel real. Mm -hmm. It isn't until later in the episode when he comes back to this moment and he's back in the cage with Aaron. And when he's in the cage with Aaron, he tries to do it better. Like Mm -hmm. when he was up on command, it was just kind of like, oh, I'm going to do it like I did it before, but just like with minor tweaks. And when he's with Aaron... He tries to talk to her and, you know, he tells her who she is and he fights with her and he kind of he doesn't win. But, you know, he definitely like when he he doesn't get his ass beaten. And there's this moment where he's trying to do it better. He's trying to do his past better. Mm -hmm. And all it gets him is a snapped neck. Like, yeah, when he knows too much, she kills him. 
Yeah. But it's also interesting about that one, and it gets to a later point that we get to about the elasticity of time. And I'm going to apologize in advance. We're just probably going to be jumping all over the place here because it's such a disjointed episode. But I was thinking about this watching it. He tries to change the timeline and fight back with Aaron and like counter her moves. And But he still ends up on the floor underneath her with her sitting on him demanding answers, just like in the premiere. The outcome is different, as you say, because she, she snaps his neck. But, you know, he doesn't change things enough to get out of that situation. He's still really close to how things actually happened. That makes sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So after after that moment on Moya, John gets back to the iceberg and Einstein explains to him that wormholes aren't just you know, wrinkle in time style folding distance between spaces. There's actually an element of time going on. Mm -hmm. So I want to play that explanation because wormholes get really complex in this episode in a way that I think Farscape has not quite ever hinted at before. Right. And this is after he goes to an alternate Moya, but we'll talk about that later. As I said, we're going to jump around a little bit. So let's just get to the explanation. Every wormhole system has millions of exits each to a distinct time and place, travel from A to B. Now, attempt to travel back. You could arrive at point A immediately after you left, or a cycle later, or a cycle earlier, or 10 or 10,000 millions of permutations. The secret is understanding time. Not so much understanding as accounting for. Unskilled wanderings create unrealized realities. So what you showed me wasn't real. If I had not pulled you back, wherever it was you went would have become your reality from then on. Does not compute. Are you saying that there's millions of me running around with millions of pathetic lives? One of you with millions of potential realities, depending on where and when you emerge from this system. If you do. Time. Going forward's not a problem, is it? Going backward, that screws the pooch. Should a traveler appear early in the timeline of his own existence, he would be but as a pebble cast upon still water. But the ripples he creates would over time radiate upon far distant shores, geometrically altering events in its path. And your ancients gave me just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Without such input, the odds of anyone else actually appearing at a destination they previously occupied is so remote as to be mathematically disharmonious. And why am I not dead already? I trust the one who entrusted you. But I need to understand why he bestowed this ability. Are you afraid of this knowledge? There is still time. 
So first, a few context things, because I realized in this quote we hadn't talked about that. In the previous conversation, Einstein explains that he is of the same species as the ancients. The ancients have just been biologically or modified so they can fit in the biological realm that John exists in, whereas they are in that parallel but should not ever intersect realm. John has, up to this point, he's been in two unrealized realities so far. One that had a, uh, where he ran into Chiana, who was played by Audi- Claudia Black, so Aaron and Chiana, and he didn't think it was real. He think these, thought these were illusions that Einstein was giving him, but he comes back with hair that he accidentally pulled from her head, and Einstein is like, no, you are actually in a real place, and if I did not pull you out of it, then you would have stayed there, and that would have been your reality from then on. So we have this beginning of the shift of John understanding that he's not being messed with. Things are actually happening to him, and he's coming back to this liminal space to learn more. Yeah, it's kind of an inverse of the previous his previous interaction with the ancients, where everything there was imaginary and everything there was an illusion. And then now he's in a space where everything should be an illusion. You have, you know, you have Aaron Chiana, you know, like it's a it's an Aaron that's got Chiana's coloring and Chiana's personality. And yet it's all real. And Mm -hmm. so there's kind of that moment when when Einstein is talking about the the potentiality of all of Mm -hmm. his decisions and the potentiality of wormholes that really feels a lot like the idea of a multiverse where like yes where like every decision you ever have to make in your life you actually make it make every Mm -hmm. single decision so that there's just infinite variety of you know you having made all these different decisions and what that kind of means you know right and but the difference that he's explaining here is that He's making unrealized realities. And this is where it kind of gets really into the fake science. So bear with me here. So, But instead of the multiverse theory where there is automatically a new universe created, I think what Einstein is saying that a traveler through the wormhole is the only one making these new realities. So it's not true Mm -hmm. for every single person. It's only true for the wormhole traveler. And it's not that there's millions of the traveler. The traveler is still sort of singular, but when he goes into a new reality, that becomes the reality and he and that he has to live in. And so the unrealized realities are the, all the possibilities of where this person could live. But they still all exist once he creates them by traveling too close to them or through them. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. And I think when you've explained it like that, that kind of explains one of the things that's happened with the voiceover documentary style narration. Mm-hmm. Because the first voiceover documentary narration style we have, it's Zan Stark. The first one is actually Earth People. Is it only Earth People? It doesn't have Zan yes. and Stark yet? The first one is only Earth People. The second one is Zan and Stark and Krace and Jewel plus the Earth People. Okay. But the tone changes between the, the, the during that second Yeah. One. And that's what I was getting at is that in the first one, we have all of these earth people and they're essentially just singing John's praises. They're talking mm-hmm. about what a great guy he is. So great in bed, you know, such a smart guy. Like somebody compares him to Stephen Hawking. You know? <laughs> yeah. John is no Stephen Hawking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love you, John. Smart. Yes. But anyway, go on. <laughs> but so I think that that's kind of what it's getting at is that all of these are potentialities and all of these exist. Like, mm-hmm. there's some realities where John never went on a wormhole, you know, where he 
maybe maybe he like twists his own timeline so much that they don't even know who he is later in the episode. You mm-hmm. know, like later on, his best friend DK is like, who? I don't know this guy. Like, uh, did, you know, was he a, like a janitor or something? You know, <laughs> my like- favorite is his coach is like, did he go to state? <laughs> his football coach as part of that one (laughs) as these voiceover documentary things as they kind of get more complex and as they go lighter and darker respectively in their reflections Mm -hmm. of who john is i think that that's kind of this reflection of what john could do to his own timeline yeah like we saw this one where you know this one unrealized reality that yeah it was scary kind of seeing chiana and aaron as the same person like that was very weird but what's actually scarier is this idea of people forgetting who John was or making John into a terrible person. Yeah, because I think one of the ones, uh, this might be the one you're thinking of, that happens after the, or close to after, sometime in the same same period as as the Aaron Shiana thing, is that I think we have uh, Zan and Crace and Jewel come on for the first time singing John's praises, but then you have the Earth people coming on and saying he's selfish and he had to... His ex-girlfriend had to cover all the mirrors so that she could have a conversation with him without him looking at himself or how he's not a great person after all. So it's the what they're saying definitely changes throughout and kind of I don't know if it's a reflection of what John thinks of himself at different points or if it's just a reflection of as he learns, as you said, the more complex. I really like that, actually, that the more times he goes through these unrealities because he's he's creating them as he falls in from the iceberg that his life and his the course of his life that biography of his life is changing Mm -hmm. yeah because we're also not sure how real they are because they're real in the sense that einstein has told us they are real yeah but at the same time for example a lot of the uncharted territory people are dead like Sokozu, yeah. or sorry, not Sokozu, like Zan and Stark are dead. So how are they giving this voiceover? So I think it is like a mix of like what John thinks about himself mm-hmm. and also how much he could mess up his own life. Yeah. And I was also wondering how much is Einstein influencing this? Because early in the episode, like after that very first conversation we played, uh, Einstein seems to be going through his memories, sort mm-hmm. of like Jack the Ancient. Um, went through his memories to pull out for a human reaction in season one all the details of his world and john says get out of my head so how much of that is you know john providing the people the voices that not the voices themselves but the speakers and einstein channeling either i don't know is it an illusion that he's channeling here the possibilities or is it an actual reflection of him pulling in information from the unrealized realities created and channeling in through those speakers yeah. You know what? Let's take a listen to one of the documentary styles, and then also we can get to why John shouldn't go back to Earth. <laughs> My ability to maintain this environment is weakening. Just take back what your ancients put in my head. Impossible. Impractical and possibly imprudent. What do you desire with wormholes? For starters, to go home. Your place of origin is where you can do the most damage. John! He's never faithful to his girlfriend. He made it perfectly clear that his work was a greater priority than I was. Womanizing the drink. Yes, I got the point. The drugs. The point, yes, but the risk. 
people you don't recognize the world changed irrevocably by the toss of a pebble. Well, just shove me back down the wormhole. I cannot. Why not? You did it for Moya and Pilot. Propulsion. You are the first to be brought here without vehicle. So how the hell am I supposed to get off this rock? Through the wormhole. With what? Propulsion. The smoke you're blowing up my ass. You possess the knowledge! I have little time. From the moment the ancients implanted that knowledge, you exist to service a larger... No. No. That's what you want. My name is John Crichton. I'm not your pawn. Then let us proceed. So I know it's a chaotic quote, so just kind of bear with us as we walk you through it. So we have Einstein confronting John about his use of the wormhole knowledge, and he wants to go home. And Einstein's like, no, that's a terrible idea. You know, you're that's where you're going to cause the most damage, because if you go back in time, you can cause all these ripples that change your reality, create unrealized realities. And I think that's where those, as you were saying, those those documentary voices you heard interspersed with what were actually flashes of different episodes uh, in Farscape that they are reflecting how he could change it and was like oh John's a terrible person you know he was never a good boyfriend all those things that you you heard in those kind of more stately voices but more calm voices mm-hmm. in between all the shouting and that's where where it's coming from I think there's a lot but also I feel like I feel like one of the things that I'm realizing listening to this again is when one of his girlfriends says he always made it clear that his work was a priority. And the thing is, is I this is that's what he's done on Moya in mm-hmm. regards to wormholes. Like like way back in natural election, the wormholes take precedence to this conversation that he really wants to have with Aaron. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. Aaron is finally ready to open up to him. The wormhole opens and essentially like he completely blows her off and goes and looks at the wormhole. And so I could see that if he got pushed back in time, he would again put his work as a priority to getting back mm-hmm. to Moya and back to Aaron. So it is kind of it is kind of like one of those things of like this is a potentiality. You know what I but mean? But you could see it being true for sure. Yeah. From a different point of view. Yeah. <laughs> and so the other thing I wanted to get at is at the very end – where Einstein says, well, at first John is like, take it out of my head. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care, you know, and that's that's in itself is kind of a giving in, you know, where he's yeah. like, I would prefer to survive rather than die on this hill. You know what I mean? Right, right. Because so many people are hunting him for this knowledge and it's caused so many deaths and so many problems. And then also there's this moment where he's, Einstein is like, okay, now that you have this knowledge, though, you have to be the protector of it. You have a duty. And John is like, I don't want to have that duty, you know? And mm-hmm. this is one of those things of, like, things happening to John. Do you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. And reacting, because that's, like, defines his life with wormholes so far. But it's also, you know, Einstein is asking this of him, I think, also because they don't have the ancients anymore. The ancients disappeared, mm-hmm. which is why he went out in search of what the state of wormhole knowledge was in their realm and led him to John and pulling John into this place. So now he's asking 
John to take the place of the ancients as protectors of the wormhole knowledge mm-hmm. and prevent aggressive species. He says this a lot um, from the very beginning. We don't want aggressive species to have hold of this knowledge to say, you know, come and start causing problems and basically destroy our two realms by having them touch. Mm-hmm. Um, don't cross the streams kind of deal. And, you know, the implication there is it's peacekeepers and it's the Scarens. But we get into another unrealized reality, I think next or soon next, somewhere coming up, where John comes out of it in this unrealized reality as a peacekeeper captain. Mm-hmm. And he's standing there in the you know the red and black, and he's got Braca saying, or shall we go, sir? And he's like, oh, crap, I'm a peacekeeper captain. And he's got Sokozu as a prisoner, and she's accused of being a Scarin spy. And, you know, I think it's supposed to be like an execution situation, but John, of course, is our John because he's the only John. And he's like, let her go. We're going to do this, and I'll watch and learn while I, while I try to save her life kind of deal. And then Sokozu gets free, shoots everybody, and aims the gun at John, and John kills her. And mm-hmm. at the end of it, you see John smile, like he's happy with that outcome. And I think when he comes back, this is also when he's like, that's not me. He's in denial about it. But then he kicks Einstein over, and he's like, oh, and immediately regrets it. like, that's not me either. And I think this is where it really hits home. And for me watching it on this rewatch, I think I finally kind of understood a little bit better. John would become the person in that unrealized reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's becoming that peacekeeper captain who enjoys killing prisoners. He has the knowledge of the wormholes, but then he could become the enemy, the aggressive species that, that Einstein is talking about. If he ends up in one of these unrealized realities. And I think that is at the crux of why they're worried about John if he ends up in one of these unrealized realities. It's not that he would give the information to the peacekeepers or the scarens, which is possible, but that he himself would become the threat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because if he went far enough back, if he'd been caught by anybody except for Kreis, mm-hmm. I think that he definitely could have done a Scorpius and risen through the ranks. You know, oh, yeah. if the peacekeepers had treated him kindly... When he first came through and been like, hey, you clearly have this extra knowledge that we don't have, he could have become that peacekeeper captain. Like, I think the first time through, I was kind of like, how would he have ever become a peacekeeper captain? Like, that just doesn't even seem in character. But then if you think about it, if you're rescued by these people, you're out in the middle of nowhere and they give you infinite resources to use wormholes to make your way home. Yeah, yeah. of course he would become a Scorpius. And the peacekeepers have shown that for the right person and the right knowledge they're willing to overlook you know not being the right species right was one of those things that i don't think i understood the first time i watched this that 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 is the fear that john would no longer be the john that we know because you're totally right because you know the other part of it is is you know you absorb the propaganda of the people you're with right Mm -hmm. and you know that's the only world where you're giving up the uncharted territories of course you'd work with the people who rescued you it might be too late. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the very end, we have the we have Einstein really pushing John to kind of, you have to do this. And he's like, no, I'm John Crichton, which is a line we hear at the beginning of every single episode because yeah. of the thing. And then he says, I'm not a pawn, which is really one of the first times 
that we've really heard him fight back in that sort of language. Because mm-hmm. remember when I said that, like, I was like, the one thing about him taking drugs is at least he's messing up his life on his own. Yeah. And I'm like, that's kind of what it is here. He's like, no, I'm not a pawn. And it's only when he makes that kind of declarative, like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You can't make me do things. I will not be somebody's pawn that Einstein is like, okay, now we can begin. Yeah. Yeah. Where he won't be the one giving in to other people. Yeah. And that's, uh, I just love that little bit because it's also reflects, I feel like it reflects like how he feels battered around by the universe thus far. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been so reactive to Scorpius, to you know all the people who are after him, to Crace, to everyone trying to dictate his life. And it's not till the end of season three, when they de- de- decide to go in and destroy the command carrier, that they take charge of their own destiny, mm-hmm. kind of, the crew, and John in particular. And here he's reclaiming that once once more and declaring that once more. And it fits into the whole chess metaphor with Scorpius, too. Mm-hmm. So kind of after this... John gets all of those overlapping documentary style voices again, and they actually teach him how to navigate wormholes. Mm-hmm. And Einstein begins it. And I'm going to read it straight through because it's really hard to pay attention with all the sound clutter, I thought. So he starts from every point of entry, a wormhole branches into multiple paths. So we've talked about that one. The subdivision continues until at length you are deposited back into space time. The journey can be random or with purpose, and destination is the key. So every portal has a distinct space-time signature. Only destinations you can realize by design are those of which you have foreknowledge. The more you travel, the more signatures you will catalog. Our ancients have given you the ability to recognize these subtle differences since every destination is surrounded by similar unrealized realities. The closer you travel, the more you must maintain absolute engrossment and never return to a familiar place prior to the last time you left. Your next journey may lead to a permanent, unrealized reality. So I was actually thinking about this. It's kind of like a library. Mm-hmm. Bear with me. So so libraries have a bazillion books mm-hmm. and they have the cat. Ca- the card catalog and the Dewey Decimal System that has like the big categories and then finer and finer categories till you get to the one. So the wormhole is each destination is like infinite books, right? And the closer you get, you are in, you are near to books that are closer to you. And then the one you pick is the one that has the specific Dewey Decimal ID number. And that is the signature that you are supposed to be looking for. And he, within his own body and his own senses, John has, because of the ancients and Jack giving him this knowledge, the ability to actually see the signature of individual places. Mm -hmm. He hasn't perfected it yet, as we will learn. But that's kind of how I was thinking about about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point. And one of the things that the voices emphasize is that you always travel with purpose. You should never travel randomly because that's the best way to end up in an unrealized reality. Right. Right. And... Yeah, I think it's interesting, this this entire concept, because then that makes me almost wonder if, because his first travel through the wormhole was random, mm-hmm. if this just is his unrealized reality. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's definitely an unrealized reality from ours, yeah. you know, because of the whole starting with IASA instead of NASA, you know, it kind of 
gives us a framework for his world and ours kind of starting out differently. And then who knows? We don't know. But maybe Moya and the whole crew is his own unrealized reality. I like that. I really like that idea. Well, and then also we get another unrealized reality that kind of makes sense when you think about it in terms of the aggressive species that Einstein is talking about, because Mm -hmm. it's, we see them from the back, but it's John and his dad. And his dad is having a little cook off on like a pier, which I'm like, it doesn't make, he like literally has like a whole bunch of food and it's just going to be him and John. (laughs) Yeah. But it's that creek that they keep going back to. It's the one in his head that, that the beginning of season of death where he beats Harvey in his head at at night. It's the same pier that they keep coming back to. So it's clearly important to John's past. But so either way, he, (laughs) we see them from the back at first. And then when they turn around, they well, one is actually played by Wayne Pingram. It's not played by his dad, by the guy, yeah. by the actor playing John's dad usually. But the other, it's they both have the Scarin features, like mm-hmm. the Scarin half breed features, and we find out that the Scarins have actually taken over Earth mm-hmm. way in the past. And you're kind of like, well, how could they have done that? And it's because of this. Because if you're not paying attention to the exact moment that you want to be going to. You will go to the past, and that will change everything that happens mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah, and and that's like at one point Einstein says it's like throwing a, a pebble into a pond, and the ripples will go out really far. And that's kind of that idea, which I'm still wrapping my head a little bit around that metaphor, but just kind of go with the surface level that you don't know what the consequences are of your traveling. And for instance, in this case, the consequences of John's traveling was that he is in Scarin occupied earth, basically. And I think his, mm-hmm. his dad, Scorpius dad has like a, a Yench bracelet on. And I, it's, it's like, Hey, we're basically prisoners when, you know, anything you do something wrong, it hurts me kind of situation too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, there's a lot of consequences and they're living in a in a not good regime of the Scarens where they can't travel to space and probably do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So the, this whole episode really gives us a lot of consequences for John's decisions. And it actually ends up with Einstein getting increasingly weak and the iceberg getting increasingly small. And the documentary voices kind of tell John what he should do if he ends up in an unrealized reality. And essentially it's fix the first thing that went wrong, which sounds very familiar to John (laughs) because it is something that Harvey told him in that episode where they went back in time. Different destinations. Different destinations. Yeah. And it's like, he's like shouting into the void, Harvey knew and Scorpius knew. And he never really gets an answer for how Scorpius knows or knew, but Harvey for sure knew because he's been in John's head and he's been searching for this wormhole information. I think absorbing some of the unconsciousness because he lives in John's subconscious where all this is processing and John is where it's where John's knowledge of wormholes is coming from. But yeah, so, so fix the first big thing. And this is where that idea of time is elastic that I mentioned before. So if, if you're in an unrealized reality, that's really close to your own and you fix a big thing, that's wrong or the first thing that you see is wrong you will actually end up i don't know if they're merging it but when you stay in that unrealized reality it kind of becomes as if you would have stayed in your or got back to your original reality does that make sense like mm-hmm. i don't think they actually snap back together necessarily but they maybe snap back into having the same outcomes as if 
they are now the same. Yeah. And that's something we saw happen in different destinations in a sense. But we also saw how in different destinations, snapping back doesn't necessarily look like it will be exactly the same. It just means that time likes certain grooves. So it will do whatever it takes. It'll take out a hillside as long as it gets back to the riverbed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the big things that matter. So in different destinations, recall, the nuns were being attacked, but the the kid, the young soldier had to die. And that made that the planet in the future survived. So those two events were connected. But the details changed. So in the original universe, the nuns survived. They made peace. The kid still died. The planet survived. And when they ultimately fixed everything, the kids still died, but the nuns died too. And so it was a memorial instead of a celebration site. And so the details changed, even though the events were lined back up properly. Yeah. Like the outcome was the same, even though the, even though what happened changed so fundamentally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And We get some more unrealized realities at this point. So this one's kind of long, this clip, but it's, this is the, the, the unrealized reality where all the, all the characters are different characters. Yeah. Um, but I kind of wanted to play it so you could hear the change of the voices and it, it does become a little bit important later on in the series. So let's go ahead and play it. Transport pods loaded with supplies, but there are marauders waiting to shoot us down. We can't escape. We're trapped. That's what we can't escape means. Go help Stark hyperventilate. Well, if you just let me negotiate. We mean you no harm. No. Well, I could I could bake some. Since every destination is surrounded by similar unrealized, unrealized realities. The closer, the you, closer travel, you travel, the more you must maintain The closer you travel, the more you must maintain, more you must absolute, maintain engrossment. absolute engrossment. Pilot, where are you, you four-armed trout? Right now, Moya couldn't starburst the length of your stubby little arm. This stubby little arm is short, as is our ability to maneuver, accelerate, or defend ourselves. Why doesn't anything work? Because, slutty trout, of all the half-realm modifications for his wormhole experiment, has never returned to a familiar place prior to the last time you left. Prior to the prior to the last time you left. Prior to the last last time you left. Now just why won't you help us, Crichton? Because like everybody else here, I don't want to be here anymore. You have to fix what you've done. Fix it. Can't you see he's distracted? No. Scott, come on. This, and this will free you from any thoughts of your betrothed. No, 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 honestly, she, she's not on my mind anymore, Grandma. So big, so beautiful, so blue. Aaron, blue. come back to me! You're very pretty. So, Mad Chaos, um... The context is they're being attacked by the peacekeepers. That's why there's lots of weapons fire. There's also lots of flashes of John to his own reality versus this reality. 
And you probably could hear all the actors' voices, but they did not look the way they expect. So we have Aaron and Shiana. We have Rigel in Dargo. We have Sukozu in Stark. Chiana in Nurianti. We don't know who Aaron and Zan are because they're off on the transport pod trying to negotiate and then they think they get shot. And then Dargo is in Jewel and Nurianti is in Rigel. And Sukozu, I think, is in Pilot. That was the hardest one to figure out. But you see all these people, like they're all wearing each other's costumes. So the actors are mm-hmm. in, like Norianti is dressed up as Rigel, but she obviously can walk and is not the size of Rigel. And then you have Rigel who is playing Dargo and he's really tiny because he's basically the Rigel puppet dressed up as Dargo. So it's all these weird visual things. And you constantly see John flashing to real Moya and 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 being like comparing his reality to theirs. Mm-hmm. And then you obviously have the documentary voices overlapping about, hey, you're really close to your Moya, and that's where you have to concentrate the most so you don't end up in this unrealized reality where you have found yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of that, that really makes such a fine point of what an unrealized reality could look like because this has all the right pieces, mm-hmm. but they're just not in the right position. And yeah. so if he doesn't focus, he's going to end up there and he's going to end up there forever. Yes. And there's two other little points I want to bring up about this whole scene. I, they're not included in that quote, but this whole unrealized boy, this is the longest he stays in any of the unrealized realities because Einstein, who is weak now, has been the one who's been pulling him back and he's having a lot of trouble pulling John back from this one. And in this one, uh, Sukozu is playing Stark and Chiana gets knocked out and she ends up having a seizure. And so Stark does some like the crossing over thing. And then when the peacekeepers come on board, she's like, John, you need to shoot me because I don't really have to be in this body. I don't want to die with the peacekeepers. So John shoots her and she's like muttering words as he does so. And then so he actually shoots Stark, like which is I don't know, you know, kind of one of those unexpected outcomes that you do, but also it kind of reminded me of when he was in the PK unrealized reality and he shoots Sokozu and in this place Sokozu is shooting Stark. So there's a theory, uh, not theory, a theme of shooting Sokozu and Stark. But then the other thing at the end of the scene is Krace not playing anyone else but himself. Krace is the PK captain who's leading the boarding party. And he, after a tense moment of standoff, greets John and says, well done, as if John had been the one to bring in the prisoners. And it goes back to my thought about, um, you know, John becoming whoever he is supposed to be in that unrealized reality. So here he is a collaborator with the peacekeepers, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, similar to his PK captain unrealized reality. Well, because even if it had been something like Aaron turning him, like when he first mm-hmm. came, remember, she initially did. He initially, she was like, hey, come and join the peacekeepers with me. Right. You know? So if if that ha- if he hadn't killed Crace's brother, maybe Crace would have wanted a uh, spy on the inside, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, this is kind of a, this is a good, if you haven't seen it, it's a really good scene. And mm-hmm. it definitely kind of gets at what could go wrong with wormholes. Yes. And I think that this is also when John begins to begins to be afraid. And yeah. so I want to play the next quote, which is when he comes back and he's talking to Einstein again about how he currently feels about wormholes. I almost could not retrieve you. 
Yeah, I noticed. We're running out of real estate. This construct disintegrates. Next time, your reality forever. Not next time. Leave me. To die? Why? Too risky. Oh. Best to leave me. Are you suddenly becoming afraid? <laughs> yes. For the damage I can do, yes. Fear. Fear is the correct answer. So this kind of goes back to a couple of things. It goes back to the whole time thing at the beginning where Einstein was looking for the right answer in his response to his, you know, Rorschach test of time. <laughs> yeah. Let me say time repeatedly. But also, <laughs> I think that this is such a major character growth just within the episode for John. Because like we said, kind of the theme up until now of season four has been like, we don't care. <laughs> Do what you want. <laughs> We don't care. We don't have it in us to care anymore. And this is John coming back to caring. Mm -hmm. Like this is John that isn't just destroying the command carrier because he thinks Scorpius shouldn't have wormhole knowledge, but he thinks he's realizing the potentiality of wormholes is so great and so deadly and could wipe out so many things that he has to make sure that not only is he using it correctly, but that no one else should have it. He doesn't even think he should have it. He says yeah. repeatedly throughout this episode, take it away from me. And it's something he repeats again as one of his last requests. And yeah, it's like this is this experience of going to all these unrealized realities of staying in this last one for a really long time where he actually goes through a little mini arc of kind of apathetic waiting to leave. And then suddenly like, oh, crap, I'm not leaving. I got to do something. Mm -hmm. And then realizing again when Crace shows up that, oh, I have a different role here than I thought I did. This is really messed up. So. Yeah, it's really sinking in. And it's there's several turning points for, for Einstein in this episode of his relationship to John. Because at the beginning, as we heard, he's like, I'm here to kill you because you have dangerous knowledge. But he waits for John to prove himself. And when John says, I am not a pawn, that's a right answer, right? Mm -hmm. He's not going to be let Scorpius or the Scarens or whoever else play him. And then here again, finally, he's afraid enough to do the right thing. Yeah. And that's also the correct answer. And I just kind of love that little sequence of it just the monumental burden that these wormholes have always been just became that much bigger. Yeah. Yeah, I think that burden is like a really good way of putting it just because I think that John here, this whole episode, he's kind of been struggling with like, uh, you want me to do this thing. I don't want to do this thing. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want, which is nothing. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use them how I want. Go home. Yeah, like, leave me alone. And I think that him finally, finally, after all of these different unrealized realities, becoming afraid of wormholes again, I think that that's really major. And I think that that kind of, that kind of sets up not just the rest of the season, but also the rest of the series through Peacekeeper Wars. Mm -hmm. For sure. So I'm going to play the last quote, which is basically the last bit before 
John leaves the wormholes. So he has to do it himself because he doesn't have a ship. He does not have engines that can be pushed out of the wormholes. And it says a lot about how John sees himself as well. Can't do it. You would rather die? Not particularly, but I like my childhood and I don't want to scramble the eggs. Should aggressive species puncture the wormhole, the consequences for both our realms would be unimaginable. Ah, oh, screw it. But I am not Kirk, Spock, Luke, Buck, Flash, or Arthur Frelling Dead. I am Dorothy Gale from Kansas. You are gonna hire more ancients. Then simply permit yourself to perish prior to reaching a destination. Moya. After. Her space-time signature will be familiar. Powerful. Moya. Fear is your providence. Feel the force. Adjust. Maintain focus. Focus. Harmony. When this is over, you're gonna take this crap out of my hand. Someday. Should you survive? After. Do you now know what it is? the wormhole opens up and he goes out down it before we get to where he ends up though he's afraid now he's afraid of committing to doing it and the fear is providence like protection from god kind of thing that's what einstein Mm -hmm. says it's that's going to keep you safe is your fear and walks him through doing all this and john has accepted that role of protecting uh, the realms from the wormholes. And I always had this question of why just he didn't just take, why didn't Einstein just take out the knowledge now? He never really gives a proper explanation earlier for it. And I think part of it is there's enough wormhole knowledge out in the realm because mm-hmm. of Scorpius's research and whatever research other people have done, furlough is, was still out there, that there's still a danger from those sources. And that's what John is, has, is being sent and has accepted to guard against. Yeah, I think that that's true. And also... Einstein was really only willing to kill him when he thought John was a threat, when John was still, you know, feeling really apathetic towards wormholes and kind of in this place of like, I don't care. Sure, the Scarens want to make wormholes. Who cares? I don't care. You know, and that was when John was at his most dangerous. But -hmm. because the ancients are gone, the, you know, this other species needs a temporary fix. They need someone guarding the gate while they're making new ancients. Right. And John is that temporary fix. Right. You know, John is the band-aid that they're hoping will staunch this like gaping wound. You know? Yeah. And that's that's what's really cool about this rewatch. Cause I until this rewatch, like I've seen this episode like a bazillion times, that had never really sunk in for me of why Einstein is doing what he's doing. Yeah. Because it's such a chaotic episode. It's really hard to parse until you really closely look at it. It's hard to see. Yeah. And so here we we see John kind of claiming, you know, yes, I'll do this for you, but I want to make it super clear that I'm not a hero. I am Dorothy. I am this person that you are putting 
in this random place. And sure, I'll kill the wicked witch, but I'm not going to do it your way. And I can't mm-hmm. promise that I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's interesting also that he's rejecting his immediate parallels because he is a star of, a, you know, the hero of Farscape, the television show on a meta level. And then, but he's saying, I'm not Kirk, I'm not Spock, I'm not Luke, you know, the, you know, Flash or who I remember the last one, but one of the other sci-fi, Buck, yeah, Buck Rogers. So, you know, he's explicitly rejecting the hero's role. And I think it's really interesting that John sees himself as, as not the hero of all of this, Mm -hmm. you know, and he doesn't have, feel like he shares those qualities where with the story of the Wizard of Oz, though, Dorothy because of just who she is, is the hero, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, she doesn't have any of these extra, extra qualities to it. But yes, the random person being the person that has to do the job mm-hmm. through circumstance. I don't know. I just really like that. And it kind of plays with that theme of Alice in Wonderland and going to Kansas. I mean, that's the first thing he says in this episode is, oh, I'm in Kansas now when he goes to the wormhole. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in this weird iceberg, iceberg realm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that kind of the rejection of the heroic narrative arc also gives him a little more room because Kirk isn't going to annihilate a species to keep them from having this knowledge. Mm -hmm. But John might have to, you know, yeah, John might have to destroy another command carrier, you know, or the Scarin dreadnought, you know. He might have to kill a lot of people to do what he's going to do. And so he can't kind of have that framing of like, I'm a knight in shining armor doing this for the right reasons. I'm doing this because I am in this weird place and you put me here. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like that because it's, you know, he doesn't cast those activities, those actions that he might have to take or has taken in the past, as you mentioned with the command carrier, as heroic, when so often in media, those things are considered heroic and they are not thought of in terms of this was a terrible thing I just did all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, we killed the command carrier. You know, it came Mm -hmm. at great cost and not just the loss of Grace and Talon, but at the personal cost at the end of like, we killed all those people who didn't make it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then in the end, he goes through the wormhole and then he ends up and he's calling for Moya and he sees a moon and he turns around and he is not near Moya. Nope. John Crichton got back to Earth. He did. And it's a really cool shot because he's upside down relative to how we usually think of the Earth. So Mexico and Florida are right in shot and Florida as it should be because that's where, you know, he launched from. And, uh, yeah, so he's, he's hanging out in a spacesuit in between the Earth and the moon. And just so you know, the moon is like 250,000 miles away from Earth. It's not close. And we currently, and probably in John's world currently, did not have a way to get out there to pick him up. <laughs> so, so it'll be exciting to see how he survives this cliffhanger because this is the cliffhanger of the episode ends on. Yeah. Um, Before we close out, I wanted to mention Andy on Twitter. He actually had some comments also on Unrealized Realities that I wanted to make sure we mentioned because there were a lot of really good points. One was that this was the introduction of Einstein. This is the first time we've seen him. Also that Unrealized Realities can kind of be a metaphor for life, which I think is an interesting idea. Um, We kind of mentioned that earlier when we were talking about the 
the multiverse and this idea of like all of our current decisions could end up in a theoretical unrealized reality. John also finally gets the thing he wants and he's within sight of it. But the horror is that, or sorry, but the horror is that he might die within sight of it, <laughs> which you just mentioned. We don't have yeah. any way of, Earth doesn't nope. have any way of getting John. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty terrible cliffhanger to be in. Yeah. And then lastly, people in his life guiding him on how to use the wormhole network, which is an interesting point that they did use people he knew as mm-hmm. kind of, even though it was people that we didn't know, it was clearly just random people that they chose but with the exception of dk but yeah um it was kind of this idea that it's already in his head and i think his past is already guiding him towards this i think mm-hmm. yeah no i like that because and you don't know because is it the knowledge coming from his subconscious that the ancients put in there because i'd mentioned earlier that what if einstein is directing those thoughts but maybe it's his subconscious that the ancients already put in there and he, he in his his way that he's telling himself this information that he already knows mm-hmm. is through the people that he knows in his past and they aren't all strictly random um so remember a few of those faces cuz it becomes important later <laughs> but yeah i really like that that thought that you know he has within himself in his past the ability to carry this forward yeah yeah so that's pretty much the episode what would you give it Oh, this one's a five for me. Yeah. This is one of my favorites of the entire series. Yeah, I'll give it a five, too. I think that this is just a really smart episode. And this kind of shows the potentiality of Farscape in a way that I think we haven't seen, that I would argue we really haven't seen since season one. You know, Mm -hmm. And it pulls in so many threads from so many episodes. We have the premiere. We have... You know, all the stuff with Scorpius at the end of season one that started this whole thing with wormholes. We have different destinations shows up. We have the stuff with the Pathfinders gets mentioned mm-hmm. from uh, self-inflicted wounds. We have Peacekeepers. We have Crace. We have, you know, just this whole series kind of coming together in flashes from episodes all the way back through seasons one, two, and three. And now we have John's past on Earth coming into play with the voices. So it's just like the whole series seems to come to a point on this one episode. Yeah, that's a good point. We already mentioned stuff on Wardrobe Watch. John is in his spacesuit. Uh, Einstein is in a suit and everyone else is dressed as someone else. Yep. What episode do we have next week? So next week we have Kansas and then after that Terra Firma and that will wrap up our trilogy Yes. So we hope you enjoyed our episode. I hope it wasn't too disjointed, uh, but this is one of those hard ones to parse a little bit. So forgive us. Yeah, we are Farscape Friday podcast at Gmail, Dreamwith, and Tumblr. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter. So go ahead and hit us up there. If we forgot to mention your favorite part of Unrealized Realities, let us know. <laughs> Take care, everyone. See you next time. Bye.